Well, good morning. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Exodus chapter 15. This is in the Old Testament, second book in the Bible. Sydney kind of set the stage this morning for what I want to talk about, and that's about singing. And uh, you're never too young to start. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 15. Really, it's just called the Song of Moses, and it's kind of unique because... There we go. It's kind of unique because it's one of the first songs they believe that was ever written. It's ancient. And so this is a very special song. The Song of Moses. I don't pretend to know how what the tune was, and I'm not going to try and sing it this morning, but let's look at it. And there's a number of lessons that we can learn this morning here in San Ramon 2007. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy, and in the greatness of your excellence you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils the waters were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw up my sword. My hand will destroy them. Verse 10, you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. I think I'll just stop right there for time. And there's just a little bit more on it. But that's enough for us to begin to digest and chew on this morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I love, I love music. And I find that there's less and less that I want to listen to that's on the car radio when I'm surfing and just flipping through. There's very little, really, that makes much of an impact when I'm listening to it. 
But isn't it true when you think of all of the different songs and hymns and spiritual songs that have been recorded that are about our God, that they minister to our heart in a way that really no secular song can. They really do. And it's a wonderful thing now, isn't it, that we have that wonderful little thing called an iPod. And we can download music in the right way. And we can, while we're on our exercise and treadmill and so forth, we can be listening to wonderful, edifying music that praises God and worships Him and causes our eyes to be on Him. Or on a message of Scripture or on a sermon for that matter. This is an interesting very, very interesting passage of Scripture because really it's like, if you like, the beginning of praise in verses 1 and 2. As I said, it's recognized as the oldest, most radical, and most important poem in the Old Testament. And fascinating enough, there wasn't at this point, if you like, much to sing about for the Israelites. There were no songs in Egypt. Now, in understanding the context of Exodus 15, you have to kind of be familiar with what had just preceded in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. And really the bottom line there was is that for 400 years, the Israelites had been held captive by the Egyptians. And then in this miraculous way, God uses Pharaoh to lead his people out of the slavery and bondage of the Egyptians and to set them forth into the promised land. And so what the Egyptians, or sorry, what the Israelites had known at this point in time wasn't singing. But as someone has said, only the sounds of the lash of the taskmaster's whip. Only the rattle of chains, the cries and groans and prayers of the oppressed, and the harsh commands of slave drivers. We might find it a little hard to identify, but put yourself back into their shoes of what life was like for them and the bondage that they were under. And then if you're familiar, we'll just flip your page back to Exodus chapter 14. It's this most fascinating passage of scripture. And I spoke on this several years ago, so I'm not going to speak on it again due to time. But it's amazing because in Exodus chapter 14, verse 1, the Israelites are camped. And they're at this location, if you like, where they've got the Red Sea in front of them. They've got mountains on one side. They've got a desert on another. And then, unfortunately, from their perspective, all of a sudden they get wind of the fact that Pharaoh's changed his mind. And he's coming with his mighty army, and he's coming back. And he's coming after them. So behind them, they've got this first-class army of the Egyptians coming at them. So they've got the sea, and they've got the mountains, and they've got the desert, and they've got an army, and they feel like they have nowhere to go. And if you have a chance, and if you're not familiar with the story, God miraculously divides the sea and he allows the Israelites to pass through and Pharaoh's army. And as it says in verse 6 of chapter 14, the 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them, this big crowd, this big battalion, if you like, of troops is drowned in the sea, and yet the Israelites were able to cross through as though it was dry land. And so, if you'd been there, and you had seen that mighty miracle happen, you can understand that you have Exodus chapter 15, 
And you have verse 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And I get the sense that it was a spontaneous song. This wasn't something that they had prescribed or uh, written down in advance. It, it, it came. And I bet you they sang it with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength as they were singing this song. Psalm 40, verse 3 says that he has put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When I look at these first couple verses of Exodus 15, I see that they were singing this song to the Lord. It says that I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. It's addressed to him. And personally speaking, when it comes to this whole issue of praise and worship and music, to some folks it's about as varied as a menu at the restaurant is as to what their preferences are and to what they like and to what they appreciate. But I think best is when songs are addressed to him. I think those are the songs for me that really give me the opportunity to worship him. And of course there's the songs that are talking about him, that we're singing actually to one another about our great God. But for me, the songs that I love best in the hymns are the ones where I am addressing him in praise and worship, adoration, declaring something of his attributes and of his works. And remember, when we sing, whether it's on Sunday morning at the breaking of bread or whenever it is this morning for our first song, that he's the audience. He's listening. And I know we're a little bit sensitive at times about the tone of our song and how we're, we think we can't hold a tune. And maybe we can't. But you know what? He doesn't care. He doesn't care if he's looking at our heart and we're able to sing something. You know, a lot of folk really don't have a whole lot to sing about in the world. And the interesting thing is, is we're going to see as a direct result of what God does, the natural response, or if you like, the supernatural response for his people is to sing. If you count all the verses of Scripture, you look particularly the Psalms, and you look at all the references to singing. It's something that people of God enjoy and that God wants us to do. They praise God because He did something. He did something in their lives that Israel knew that they could not do. This was a huge, huge victory. The Egyptian war machine was stopped right in its tracks. It was the top of the line at its time. This wasn't so some renegade army, some ragtag little operation here. This was the cream of the crop with troops. And yet God showed his power. And he says in this song, verse 2, The Lord is my strength and my song. They understood that it was him who had accomplished this. Then they went on to say in verse 2, And he has become my salvation. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? That the people of God all throughout the generations can identify with this. That God has become, look at the word, not are, which is true, but it's even more personal than that. He's become my salvation. It's very personal. What they were saying there and what we're saying when we say that today in 2007, going fast forward, is, is that we realize that we cannot save ourselves. But God must become our salvation. He has to become that. Jesus Christ said it himself, and he, he said it in the New Testament, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery 
of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. And that's what he did. That's what he accomplished. That's what he's accomplished in our lives. If you look at verse 30 and 31 of chapter 14, there's a picture of salvation in the words of Exodus 14, verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Says it. That's how you're saved. You place your trust. You believe in the Lord. And that's how it's accomplished. Last Sunday morning I had to work and uh, I always prefer obviously to be with God's people, but I have to work some Sundays and it was a blessed, if I have to be somewhere, it was a good couple of hours because I was with somebody who's, a, who's seeking the Lord, who's interested in spiritual things, and I was working with another person who's a Christian. So there were the three of us. And from 6 o'clock in the morning till about 8.30, it was relatively quiet, and we were able to have our own service, if you like, for two and a half hours. And this one particular fellow who's a police officer who's working in dispatch was, is reading a book called Jesus for Dummies right now. I didn't know it's out there, but it is. It's one of these yellow books, and he's reading it, and he's been, he and I have been meeting for a couple of years talking about Jesus Christ and his work. It's kind of a one-step-forward, two-step-backward, sometimes kind of relationship for the last couple of years. But we started talking about these things. And more interesting to me than actually what he was saying last Sunday was something that the other dispatcher said. Because she said, you know, Randy, I'm going to be giving my testimony. She lives out in Tracy. And I said, I'm really kind of curious. What is your testimony? Tell me your testimony. Tell me your story. And she said, and this was the part that was very encouraging and interesting. She and I had a conversation back in 1999 on the telephone. I remember it well. She knew where she was in her house, and I knew where I was in my house. We were talking for 90 minutes on the phone. And I remember, and I don't remember, to be honest, the specifics, but I was obviously or apparently going over the gospel. And I had known from talking to her that she had been placing her trust in church attendance and good works, coupled with a belief of some kind. Something happened there, and the Spirit of the Lord was speaking through me, and I don't even know what it was. Maybe it was a verse of Scripture, but all of a sudden she started to weep on the phone. And at that point, you know, it's a little uncomfortable when somebody starts weeping on the phone and you're not too sure what to do, and I just let her weep. Since that time, she kind of had gone back and forth and back and forth, and she said last Sunday that in her testimony, when she became a Christian, was on that phone call. And that was encouraging because I personally believe that too, but I needed, she needed to understand that, that her salvation was not in good works, but that it was through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what she did. And it was so awesome because it happened on a phone call where I could see, I could not see, but I could imagine and visualize a light bulb went on. It turned on in the head and it transferred down into the heart where she understood that Christ was not just a savior, but was hers. And the embarrassment, if you like, and where she had to humble herself. And this was the hard part for a number of years was to be able to say, you know what? I thought I knew. I thought I was a Christian. I thought I had professed in Christ. But actually, in all honesty, I hadn't, and it was in 1999 when I did, even though I'd been going to church for years prior. 
That's what God needs to do in our lives, isn't it? Humble us. Break us to the point to where we're ready to receive him. Has the Lord Jesus become your salvation? As the Israelites sang here. If he has, when would you say that was? Do you know? Then in verses 3 down to verses 13 or so, we were looking at just kind of, again, who were they praising? The object of their praise, the object of their song is the Lord himself. It's nothing of self. It's not a self here at all, but it's all of God. Their names, and for that matter, as someone has said, our names don't even appear in the small print of the credits when a movie is over. You know, you ever watch a movie, if you stay for the very end, and that thing is just flying, you know, up, up with the credits, and there's hundreds, hundreds of people. And you kind of wonder, it's sometimes so small, couldn't you even see their name? But I'm sure for that person, they're looking for it. They're looking for their name to say, hey, I played a part in this movie. Well, you know what, brothers and sisters, our names aren't anywhere on those credits of anything that we can claim for our salvation. You're not going to find it. Michael W. Smith has a song that I was been listening to over and over again recently, and he said, in part, even now that I'm inside your hands, help me not to grow prideful again. And he goes on to say in his song, and if I'm blessed with the riches of kings, because God sometimes blesses us monetarily as he chooses, he says, if I'm blessed with the riches of kings, how could I ever think it was me? God chooses to bless you that way. How could we ever think that it was us who accomplished it? And then the song goes on, and really the title of it is, Jesus, you be lifted high. That's where the glory is going to, is Jesus Christ. God wants us to be in that place of humility where we're willing to fall, if you like, to our knees so that people will see him and not me. And that's what makes us that's what makes us light. That's what makes us salt to the generation that we're around, to the folks that we're around, as they see Jesus and not me. Interesting also in verse three of this psalm, God is mentioned as a warrior. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. You think about it in the context of God as a warrior, there's a there's a message in that alone, but it tells you one thing that the battle is not ours. But it's God's. He's the one fighting for us. And he will go on the offensive for his cause and on his people's behalf. And when you think of a warrior, I think of his courage. And I think of a warrior, how they have to be strong. And that's a description of our God. And when you think of war, you also think of another thing, that when there's a war, you hope there's victory. And you want to see victory. And war is mentioned here in order to emphasize victory. Israel had the victory. But the victory wasn't themselves. It was Jehovah. There's no song here that's going to say, look what we did, whatever tune that would be. Or I did it my way, as Frank Sinatra would have sung. That's not going to be there. Or how lucky we were. Oh, what a coincidence that somehow the waters parted just at the right time and we did it and we crossed over. No, nothing of that. It was something that Jehovah did. They acknowledged that God gave them the victory. And he used the winds. He used the sea. He used the floods. And the deep to do it. Moses and the Israelites were singing 
because they were first-hand eyewitnesses that God was doing something that was new in their history. And that was this, that the Creator God was coming down and He was fighting on their behalf. He hadn't done that with their forefathers in that same way and He did it here. And so we're right on track when we're in agreement as in John 3, John the Baptist said these very words. He says, you know what? I must become less so that He becomes greater. He must increase and I must decrease. That is when life is being lived at its best for us who know God is is when He is at the forefront and the focus of our lives. It all makes sense when we have the kind of prescription or vision and it's our philosophy and it's our mindset and it's our vision that when we wake up in the morning that the goal is is that He will become greater and I'll become less. And when that happens... He blesses you and He blesses me in ways that we couldn't even imagine. I love the hymn that says, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Since nothing good I have, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garment white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Are we coming to a place where we realize that we are indeed nothing without him? Are we growing in humility? And appreciating his grace, that undeserved kindness of God, like how he displayed it here to the Israelites, and as a result caused them to sing this wonderful, ancient, and historic song. Don't you think that Israel, as they were watching this, standing on the banks of that Red Sea, that they knew thankfulness and gratitude in a way that she had never known before? And I don't know about you, but when I meditate on this passage and I think of the fact that there were these Egyptian bodies that are up along the waves, drowned, all of that destruction, all that sobering death, that it was in fact a costly redemption for them. Our freedom, the freedom that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ today, that costs the Savior. Free for us, as someone has said, costly for him. And so at the core and the center, if you like, of their theology and of this song is that they are acknowledging and exalting God as above all the gods, all the so-called gods that are out there. And they said it in verse 11 and 12. Who is like among you the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? And the answer is, there is no one like you. There is absolutely no one. There's a couple of things that God clearly did here that they sang about, and that was one, deliverance. And the other were the blessings that were enjoyed as a result of that deliverance. These last few days, Monday through uh, Thursday, I was at a conference in Bass Lake. 
Never knew where Bass Lake was, off of Highway 49. It was a conference for dispatchers who are involved with SWAT teams, and so there's about 145 of us from 11 states that were meeting for four days. One day, we met for five and a half hours, it was kind of long, listening to one of the dispatchers from Jefferson County Sheriff's Department who was working on the day of the Columbine shooting in 1999. And she went over the details of that day from start to finish. Included were phone calls of some of the kids calling in from the library and the cafeteria and hearing all of the destruction and all of the terror, as well as all the gunshot rapid fire that you could hear on the phone calls. And then the next day, went to a class for four hours on terrorism and listened to four hours worth of terrorism and more phone calls of people that were trapped in the World Trade Center and some of the phone calls of that on the 105th floor of listening to people saying they didn't want to die and saying that the smoke was so intense and it was so hot and all the terror and and all of that and you thought, wow, what a great conference you were at and it really was kind of sobering to say the least. What I thought about when I was listening to all this horror and all this evil and all this tragedy and sadness was I'm so glad that I've been delivered. So glad, I'm sure, for the folks who were in those situations to have been delivered and rescued from that, and that was not their fate. God in his sovereign power was in control, and he allowed a number of folk to be safe that day. Well... The Israelites in Exodus 15, they realized that they had just come very, very, very close to death. And yet God had delivered them. Verses 1, 6, and 7 bring that out. And then they experienced, as a result of the deliverance, the wonderful blessings. And really it is just a picture of the Christian life, isn't it? God has delivered us from our sin. Jesus Christ is the one that's gone in our place. And now we are the benefactors, the beneficiaries of that wonderful deliverance, and we experience blessings that there are so many around us who don't know him would just long to know if somebody were maybe there to tell him. One of the conferences I went to and the courses was on stress maintenance, healthy living and how to cope with all the stuff that you hear. And a lot of folk, you know, turn to alcohol a lot of people in first responders turn to drugs. Marriages break up. A lot of stuff goes on from all the stress. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, I've been in this business for 16, 17 years. And it has infected me in the same way of some of those tragic examples of how it affects others. And I attribute that to the Lord Jesus. I really do. I can't, can't take anything of, of uh, pride or claim in that. But it's God who gives me the ability to keep on an even keel and be able to know when to shut off and when to turn on. One of the last exercises she asked us to do, and I didn't know what she was doing really, but she's a, one of these professionals that meets with people for peer support who have hadn't been in critical incidents and so forth, shootings and grief and death. She said, write a circle. So I drew, or draw a circle. So I drew one and she said, put in that circle the people who uh, are significant in your life, the things and the people that matter. To you. So immediately, nobody had to tell me. Father, Son, and Spirit were my first three. And then my spouse, and then my kids, and then my church family, 
both locations that I have, and then my coworkers, and a couple of other things. And then she said, now, with a star, right away, go to the star, the first thing that matters to you the most. And right away, the pen went to Jesus Christ. Because she said, what if that star, if that thing you clicked on, that moon or that star, if that were removed from your life, what difference would it make? And I thought, if that star, if Jesus Christ were removed out of that circle in my life, I would absolutely not know what to do. I wouldn't know how to live. I wouldn't know how to cope. I couldn't understand, frankly, the reason for living if it wasn't for Jesus. In closing, brothers and sisters, there's also an eternal value in praise. If you scoot down in your text to verse 18, they continue singing, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. I don't know about you, but in my way I kind of see the world today, it seems like there's a loss of continuity in our world today. Even on sports teams, people change teams on football and basketball and baseball so quick, I can't really get identified with the team any longer because people are moving so quickly for a better salary. It seems like whatever is the newest and the best is what matters. People leave houses quicker. People change jobs faster. There's just this loss of continuity, of continuity, if you like. And wouldn't we like to invest our lives in something glorious that will endure beyond tomorrow? That won't fade away. Egypt kept Israel captive for 400 years. However, God had the last word on that. The Lord has taken his throne and he shall reign forever and ever. And so this song, this song will never go out of date. This song has no end. This song is going to be a best uh, number one hit for us forever and ever. In a matter of fact, in closing, it's very interesting in that in John, in the book of Revelation, it tells us in Revelation, it's in chapter 15, that when time ends, as we know it, and we step into eternity, we will find ourselves not by the Red Sea, but by the Sea of Glass, singing this song with the song of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 15, verse 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the Nations. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Let's this week, as we go about our business, continue to sing to the Lord, continue to praise his name, continue to declare his wonders and his deeds before people who don't know him. God has given us a new song.
Let's praise him for it. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wonderful gift of singing. We thank you that you have, in fact, given us a new song. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your power displayed here in Exodus. We thank you for the fact that you were their salvation. And we bless you that you are our salvation today. I pray if there's anyone here today that has not been able to say that you are my God, that they have received you as my Savior and Lord. I pray today, even today, they will come and acknowledge and bow before you. Thank you for these dear people. Pray you bless them for the rest of this day and for the week to come. Pray we'll be busy about your business. Pray you'll keep us close to yourself and you'll help keep us uh, mindful of the tactics and strategies of the enemy and that we'll just rest in your love. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.